Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and tonight I get my experts to assess a range of stocks that we're always being asked about on our weekly Boom, Doom and Zoom show, which is only available for subscribers to our Switzer report. Now those companies are Megaport, Westpac, Horizon, Woodside, Origin and A2 Milk, all interesting companies. It comes as the Aussie stock market has liked the consequences of the US election and provided the Republicans win the Senate as expected, then Wall Street should keep it all positive, which will be good for our stock market. Helping me with these stocks is Adam Dawes of Shore & Partners, Paul Rickard of The Switzer Report and Julia Lee of Berman Invest. And this week, we start helping you understand bond funds with Ying Yi and Cheng of Coolabar Capital. But first, let's just kick off with Julia Lee. Okay, let's just go straight into it. Megaport, what do you think? I like Megaport. This is a software-defined network, which means you don't have to buy hardware in order to get data. In fact, customers can access a huge amount of data centers. They're in 366 data centers at last count, and some of the biggest around the globe in 128 countries. Now, their last set of quarterly numbers was disappointing, which is why we've seen the share price pulling back. But I do think this is an opportunity. They did see a fall of 2% in revenue, but this was really due to one of their legacy businesses where they did cut the price, so there was some deflation. But if we have a look at the other metrics, the other metrics looked pretty strong. They saw a record number of customers acquired as well as our services. So if we have a look at customer growth, it was up around about 7%. And if we have a look at services for the quarter, it was up about 9%. The thing was that these customers were added at the end of the quarter, which means we didn't see the full benefit of their spending for the whole quarter, which I think in the second quarter means that we're going to see a strong bounce back in the numbers. Okay, quality company. Oh, we hold Megaport too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought you would too. Right, <laughs> let's go to a company like A2 Milk. A2 Milk, I've liked in the past. In fact, when I first bought this stock, it was at 49.5 cents, but I don't like it at the moment. And that's because a major sales channel is a Daegu market. This is where Chinese students or travelers buy the products here to send back to China. And unfortunately, that has been disrupted because of COVID-19, as well as the escalating tensions between China and uh, Australia. So at the moment, I am avoiding any sort of agricultural products or major products which are sold into China because of the ongoing tiff for tats and our products being held up at the customs ports at the moment, which is one way that China does tend to retaliate. So I'd be steering clear of A2 milk for the time being. Okay, that's for the time being. If you're a sort of person who buys and holds and puts them in the bottom drawer, is the price a reasonable entry price? Uh -huh. For the outlook, if it's a decreasing outlook, probably not, only because we don't know how long the trade dispute is going to run for. Yeah. And look, it's not just infant formula that's being impacted at the moment. We're seeing um, all sorts of products in Australia, for things like coal, even some of the fruit and veggies, there's sort of uncertainty over, and of course, the wine investigations in, impacting on Treasury wine estates. So I suspect that this is not going to be something that goes away in a matter of weeks or months, that this could be something that drags on for a while. Okay, what about a company like Horizon? Horizon. 
Uh, this is an interesting company. Um, it's looking at transportation, and I guess it's been impacted negatively because of coal volumes. We know that coal has been under pressure as an export here in Australia. But I guess on the plus side, if you're an income investor, you know, it does have a strong yield and the cash component of its business is enough to cover a 5 to 6% yield. So look, if you're looking for an income player, I'd probably put a little bit of money into it. I'm not a massive fan in terms of its growth profile at the moment, so it'd be a hold for me. Okay, Woodside. Woodside Petroleum, I guess this is our largest oil and gas space. And unfortunately, oil and gas has been under pressure. So if you're buying into the oil and gas space now, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, I think there's other better ways to play a recovery in oil. And that's because Woodside Petroleum, as the biggest player in this area, is less leveraged to a recovery. So the way that I'd prefer to play it is probably more through something like a beach petroleum or even a Santos rather than Woodside, which probably won't see as much of a benefit as oil prices recover. Okay, let's go to Origin now. And the reason why I'm asking is a lot of the people in my Boom Doom Zoom show ask me about Origin. And a lot of the analysts think there's 40% plus upside, but it's really in a troubled and tricky space, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I don't think Origin's looking too bad at the moment. I guess we know that oil prices have been under pressure, but when we saw the last quarterly numbers come out, pricing was actually a highlight and it's been much stronger than its peers in the area of uh, pricing. So I guess volumes have been relatively good, but what has let it down is really the pricing side of things. So as we do see oil and gas price recovery, and I'm guessing that the second quarter will be much better, I think that Origin will continue to benefit. So I see it as a buy here, a higher risk risk buy given that we are seeing COVID-19 cases still rising in major parts of the world including the US, the UK as well as Europe but I think it's looking pretty interesting okay. at the price that we're seeing at the moment and I wouldn't mind buying some and putting it in a bottom drawer and checking it out in a year or two. Okay now finally I want to ask you about Westpac. Had a bad report last week. Is the buy because it had a bad, buy, a bad report? I guess on a positive side, probably most of the bad news is out of the way for Westpac. And I guess when you're having a look at the big four banks, it's relatively difficult to differentiate between the four. One thing that makes Westpac stand out is that its loan book is dominated by investor loans rather than home occupiers. And unfortunately, during the COVID-19 crisis, investor loans have been paid off much more quickly than um, normal home loans, so owner-occupiers. And that's meant that its loan book has dwindled down a lot faster. So look, I'd probably be staying underweight the banks at the moment, given that we are still seeing interest rates falling. And in that type of environment, it's still going to be relatively hard to grow loan books. I do think that there's better sectors and better investments out there on the market compared to the banks. And while the banks may perform positively, I do think that they will see underperformance compared to the market. Okay, so what's the favourite stock that you've been adding to your portfolio? <laughs> well, I like Linus. Um, it's been doing extremely well. Um, we got in the low twos and it has, a, I think, a $3.20 handle on the back of it today. And part of the Linus story is that um, tech firms really are looking to diversify supply away from China. China still controls 85% of production in rare earth. And it's used in everything from ventilators to anything technology-based, military-grade equipment. 
And because of the increasing escalating trade tensions with China at the moment, Linus is doing very well out of that. It's the largest producer outside of China. It's also looking to help design a facility in Texas for the Department of Defense over in the U.S. to um, to have a supply of rare earths for its military-grade equipment. And I think it will continue to do well um, over the next 12 to 24 months. A few years back, it had troubles with the Malaysian government. Have they sorted out those troubles? Oh, it's always simmering around in the background, but for the time being, those tensions seem to have simmered down a bit, and they are also building a new processing facility in WA, so they are diversifying where they can uh, process those rare earths. So they do have the Malaysian processing plant, but they are looking at building one in WA at the moment too. And where do they get their rare earths from? Mount Weld in WA, which is the largest rare earth deposit outside of China. So a very high quality resource. It's a mine that should continue to be produced over 25 years or more. Thanks very much for joining us, Julia. As always, great insights. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, it's been a good day on the market again. It's making the Australian stock market great again, again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so can this keep on going, um, uh, Adam Dawes from Shore Partners? Look, it looks like it can at the moment. I think uh, investors are cheering uh, that we can put this somewhat election behind us and potentially really at the end of the day, um, you know, put this, the, the, I mean, Trump's definitely going to try and, uh, try and, uh, you know, try and get something back. But I really don't think that that's going to happen. I think this is now laid down. And the way the market has reacted today is that they believe that this is a, a Biden win and we're going to continue to move forward. We have broken out of our trading range now from 6,200 to 5,800. We have been in that range. And today we broke out of that. So it's a real positive sign. US futures are looking higher. And I think here we go. This is, this is sort of what we've been waiting for. Okay, so it looks like if it's a, a Biden presidency, because he's president-elect at the moment, and the Republicans take the Senate, yep. Wall, Wall Street's going to be happy, and that's going to spread the, the material happiness right around the stock markets of the world. Agree, agree. And that means potentially uh, the, the stimulus. I think there's two things that we've got to worry Worry. I think there's two things we're going to look to at the moment, and that's going to be a vaccine and if stimulus is going to come in. And that's going to be the biggest stimulus that we're going to see in a long time. So that's going to keep markets nice and happy and full at the moment. But certainly stimulus, uh, sorry, the vaccine is certainly the next thing to come on the list this year. Yeah, and one thing we learned over the weekend is that a skinny stimulus might come in the interim period. But yeah. the bottom line is the Democrats will be fighting for lots of stimulus as we've seen in our own economy, if, if, you, if you beat the infections and you have mm -hmm. lots of stimulus, it's um, happy days. 
Yeah, it has been. And, and our market, obviously, today, really, really good. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a skip and a step in all of our, all of the whole floor today. You can, you can feel the energy. It's okay. been good. Uh, what stock in particular, uh, I'm going to get you to go through some stocks that people keep asking me about, but what yeah. stock in particular are you liking right now? Okay, so there's two that I like really at the moment. One, AZJ, Horizon. It's actually looking really good on the charts there. 375, it had a little bit of a bottom there. Today, it's closer to 395. I think that's a, certainly a, a lay down. It's a 7% yield plus franking. Um, it's a good little business. It could get back to $4.40 pretty quickly. So that one, I think, is a good trade at the moment. The next one is A2 Milk. Uh, I'm not a chartist, but I do keep an eye on the moving averages. And there is a 30 and 15 day moving average, which is a short term buy signal for me coming into this one. So A2M looking like it's found a little bit of a bottom here. And uh, I, might, I, I think that's a really good one for potentially a longer term trade. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's been caught up in all of the, the China, Australian trade relationships and whatever. But yeah. if, you, if you take the punt that this is a quality company, eventually you think the good the cream flight floats to the top cream i like it yeah. i like it a lot but you know china's been putting uh tariffs on things that they can get all around the world now they can get wine anywhere in the world they can get barley anywhere in the world um you know they can you know get timber anywhere in the world iron ore they haven't touched and i suspect yeah. they won't because that's something that they can't get milk on the other hand we are seen to be a very very uh clean country and uh, especially in infant formula, the Chinese are very, very picky with that infant formula. So ATM should do well. When the borders open up again, you get the diegals coming through and filling up their bags and putting more milk back home, uh, that will also be a benefit to ATM. And it underlines the importance of vaccine in 2021, doesn't it? No, no good call. Yeah, absolutely. All right, mate, let's just run through a couple of other stocks people ask me about. Megaport. Uh, I know it's, it's done very well. It's got a bit off the boil. What's your feeling about Megaport? I think it's followed a lot of the tech stocks that have fallen over the last coming couple of months. So look, uh, Megaport is a fantastic business. They had an investor presentation today and everyone can go on to the ASX's website and have a look at that presentation. There's some fantastic notes in there and it really gives you the, the, the shows you the strength and the size of, uh, of Megaport's business, you know, all the way across Asia, uh, Japan, and then obviously moving into the US, which is a massive market as well. We like this story. I think it's a fantastic business. I, um, you know, the speed in which they can connect people to the cloud is unprecedented. And I think this thing has had a little bit of a breather and deservedly it's, it's done very, very well. But you'll still, still see this thing starting to move to strength to strength the next year. So yeah. it's a good quality stock. I'd definitely hold it in the portfolio. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep faith. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Now, on the subject of um, needing faith, poor old Westpac <laughs> had a shocker last week. And a lot of people were, were expecting Westpac to be a, a comeback story. Is, is it still a comeback story uh, across 2021? Yes, yes, it is. Certainly the banks, you know, there's a bit of, bit of tailwind coming through with the banks at the moment. You know, you've got APRA turning around and saying, look, we think the worst is over. You can start paying dividends again. Yeah. You've got the housing market with lowest interest rates we've ever, ever seen and will continue to stay low for a very, very long time. We saw that in the RBA's commentary the other day. But uh, Westpac, uh, with that housing market starting to, 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 to be there, yes, I think that uh, Westpac is a turnaround story. It will do well, you know, but you just have to have the two to three year view on these banks. Yeah. And most of your clients and your investors will have that view. Um, dividends will return 
it's just going to take some time. There's a lot of bank bashing that's going on. I think the tailwinds are now starting to come through and we're now starting to see that happen. So, yeah, I'm comfortable with the banks. you just got to be cautious and you just got to put them in the bottom drawer. And if you can pick some up around here, $17, $18, I actually don't think it's a bad buy. But I just read a story which um, the writer courageously said, when do I buy and when do I sell? Of course, there are so many answers to those two questions. But I think one of the, the best times to buy a quality business, which Westpac still is, even though it's gone yeah. through some problems, is when everyone wants to sell it. And we're still around that selling price, aren't we? So you Absolutely. buy it, you hold it for the long term, and you probably will do okay. Yeah, it's a two to three year story. And, you know, we should be investing for the long term, shouldn't we? We shouldn't be looking at this, you know, sort of in and out, in and out business. These are the core portfolio stocks. Everyone loves to bash the banks. I, I get it. I get it. But, you know, if you've got that longer term view, you've got the capital sitting there. And where else are you going to get your dividend? You know, where else are you going to get that? I mean, you put it in the bank and you get 0.5, 0.6% on your interest. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can put it in the bank, it's going to grow and the dividends will, will follow as well. Yeah, and, and buying at the low means that your capital is less under threat. Anyway, yeah. let's go to WPL Woodside. <laughs> Talking about capital at threat. Yeah. But once again, the, the, the price is good. Like if you're a person who bought in the 30s or the 40s, you'd be yeah. crying, crying tears of blood. But uh, WPL, you know, what, around $18, it's, yeah. it's, has some, some good news today. And I guess the bottom line is, if we believe in economic recoveries out there waiting to happen 2021, oil price should go up. That will help WPL, won't it? Unbelievably, yes. So Santos and Oil Search are definitely more leveraged to the oil price moving higher, okay? So they're at the higher end, sort of more speculative side of things, whereas Woodside has the fantastic balance sheet. Now, there's some articles in the fin today talking about, I think they've got their AGM coming up this Wednesday. So, you know, that's going to be a little bit fiery. So that's it would be one to watch. And it's also talking about, you know, are they going to take ExxonMobil's stake out of the Northwest Shelf? Now, if they do need to do that, and this is why the this is why the stock has been under a lot of pressure, is they're going to have to raise two to three billion dollars. That's a lot of money to raise in the market, and they'll probably do half in debt, half by scrip, and 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 raising that money via an SPP or a share purchase plan. But that that's going to be a big pill to swallow for a lot of investors, and that's probably why the share price is underperformed. But if you turn around and you look at that, the planes get back in the air. We've got America's winter coming through, and that's they're a big consumer of oil going forward. Uh, and, you know, oil price should be around 50 bucks, should be around 60 bucks, and it's around $40.35 at the moment. It should be higher from there. Woodside will definitely benefit from that. They do pay a decent dividend. They've got a fantastic balance sheet compared to a lot of the other oil majors. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly my number one pick for clients. And, look, you know, let's get through Wednesday. There might be a little bit more information where they're going to talk about some growth prospects. And I think that should get the market a little bit more excited about the stock. Okay, one final one. Now, a lot of people ask me about this and the analysts think there's 40% upside origin. What do you think? Yeah, it's a little bit of a harder one. I probably prefer being in the wood side, which is further down the chain. Uh, they, they make the gas or make the oil and then they sell it. Origin has a very large retail book and the retail book becomes a huge political football if they try and raise prices and the politicians get involved with that and that makes it that retail business a very difficult business to continue because they can't do much with that retail book. 
besides that, I think it's, you know, it, it's a good business. AGL has been one that we've been selling of late. That's had a horrible run. Um, I, I think if I was to choose out of AGL and Origin, Origin would be my pick. It's probably a better business, well run. Uh, but I just get concerned about that retail side of things. So it will fall, it will rise with the oil price, but it will be a lagger. You'll get Santos Oil Search, Woodside running first, then you'll get the AGLs, the Origins, those kinds of things running again. It's a tough one for me. So, I, I'm on the fence. Yeah, so could I say this to you? Would it be easy to pick 40 companies you prefer to put your money in rather than Origin? <laughs> That's, I'm going to use that next time. Yeah, can I can I use that? Because that, that's yeah. a way better way of saying what I just said. <laughs> All right, mate. Adam Dawes from Sure and Partners. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Have a great day. Same to you. So we're catching up now with Paul Rickard to talk about the stocks he likes, and I have got A2 Milk in there. Uh, AMP, and he also likes Lendlease. Well, I want to talk about Lendlease. Paul, it's tough with A2 Milk. Well, A2 Milk, Peter, last week got down to about $13. $13.20, I think, was the lowest close. Uh, it's rallied pretty hard since, but I still think even at $14.30, it's probably still a buy, Peter. Um, look, it's come off, uh, really, been caught up a bit in the China trade. It's come off because there was some insider selling. We know that the uh, a little bit of challenge around the, the so-called Diagu trade with the uh, lack of uh, travellers and visitors and students and now some challenges around the corporate Diagu trade, but uh, still a great company and it's cheap. Okay, so it's a quality company. It has been sold off. It's making a bit of a comeback. For those people who wanted to see a bit of positive movement first, this is probably the the welcome mat in many ways. Yeah, it's up 7% in the, in the space of two days. So you'd say ah. it's, it's probably found a bottom. I mean, it's always interesting to know whether A2 Milk is a... Australia, Australasian company that's an Aussie or a New Zealand company. It claims to be New Zealand, which is great. Mm. Maybe that means it doesn't get caught up in any China yeah. effects, but it's a bit like Treasury Wines. It's been caught up in that whole thing. I think it's still a great company for your portfolio. It's, it is a largely a marketing company, that's what it is, and they know how to market to China. Okay, so, uh, so the current share price is? It's, today it's about $14.30. It was cheap last week. It's mm. not as cheap today, but I still think it's a stock for the and portfolio. And what's the highest it's been? It's been up, got over $20, yeah. uh, and uh, look, it, it, it reported well in, in August, but unfortunately it, uh, it within 50 calendar days of reporting, it had a bit of a downgrade when mm. they said, look, it was obviously just a bit more challenged around... Uh, sales because of the China story and we've seen that come down but I think it's gone too far. Big. Okay let's go now to Lendlease. Now Lendlease plays in a lot of spaces and a lot of people think it's office blocks and office blocks are challenged but it's a much more diversified yeah, business. Yeah this is for a more longer term play on growth and the fact that Lendlease has got a strategy right and the strategy is really about uh, what it describes as the urbanisation theme in key cosmopolitan cities. It doesn't necessarily mean people going into the centre of the city, mm. but it does mean a build-up of, uh, of communities and a desire for you know, solid re residential space with uh, spaces for you know, childcare and all the rest of the amenities. Almost sort of like, like planned, I won't say suburbs, but mm. planned developments within key cosmopolitan or cities. Yeah. Gonna, so you can yeah. imagine like a retail precinct around Chadston in Melbourne, I've noticed that Bondi Junction is becoming more and more uh, residential, but all the other facilities that a person who may well be living in an apartment will want just uh, uh, basically a walking distance. Yeah, and that's what they're really about. They also have, they've got three divisions, Peter, which the smallest is actually the construction division. Remember, I think it's a construction division, mm. see the cranes up. 
But really the biggest division is, is development, and, then, and that's actually getting these projects together and finding someone else, other partners, to take on the risk. Yeah. And then it's, uh, it's the growing division has been funds management. So it is a very big manager of properties, particularly a manager of the developments it gets involved with. So what it typically does is it, it puts the development together, brings in another party to help take on some of the risk, mm. then ends up in some cases building it, often some subcontracts out, but more likely ends up running as, a, as a, the financial case being the manager of the property mm. uh, once it's completed and, uh, and syndicating that through a fund or through another owner. So, yeah, and it's a five-day chart, going from about, about $12.40 up yeah, to $13. It, it's had a, look, it's, it's had raised a capital issue. I think it's one for the portfolio. I'm not saying it's about to flip, but yeah. I think if you think that... Uh, you know, as we come out of the, the COVID-19 story, the people are going to demand great communities uh, and, and they are going to look at stocks that have really well thought out uh, strategies and, and have a record of actually being able to execute. I think Lendlease is one of those companies that can get back up there. Mm. The founder was Dick Dusseldorp. Yeah, a long, a long time. I think I met Dick. And, uh, and I, I wonder whether the actress of the same name is related. That's a question for another day. Okay, let's go to uh, our next stock you're interested in. Which is in. A&P. Look, look, I'm not putting a buy an A&P, but I said this last week. Uh, if you're an A&P shareholder, the indicative bid's probably worth about $1.85. I think that's to get people interested. So, look, I think there's only one or two outcomes that's going to happen to A&P. Either everything is going to get sold off, or alternatively, someone like the current bidder is actually going to mount a bid and, and, and will win. Mm. And, if, and if the board is thinking about $1.85 is about the value, and that's what we hear the rumours are, then that to me is where the price is going to end up at some stage. So if you're long AMP, you've worn through all the paint, I'd still hang on to it. Mm. I wouldn't dump it. You get $1.71. Speculative buyers, there's probably just a little bit of upside still. Uh, but, you know, it will be well, sold 17, up. There is 17 cents or 15 cents on $1.71, 8 or 9%, yeah. Yeah, and look, I had a lot of ego in my face. I wrote this when the AMP was at $1.62 about three months ago. I said, this is a buy. Mm. Went a bit lower. They paid us 10 cents special dividend. I'm now well in the money, <laughs> and I'm going to look like a hero on right. AMP before, before the year is out, Peter. Yeah. This company is going to be broken up. Yeah, and you always have said that the value of this company is better in their parts, like the banks and the AMP capital in particular. All very uh, valuable um, businesses, but on the market, it's not really reflecting. And all businesses that need a new ownership and a new branding and all the rest of it, because the AMP brand, as 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 such, and the whole idea of being a wealth manager and what AMP has done to destroy value, it was never going to work, and the current CEO was never going to succeed in that. So okay. I think the inevitable is happening, and uh, you know shareholders will end up with something, and, and others, you know. Funds and offshore can see value uh, in the business. Well, that's Paul Rickard. Then we've got uh, two out of two of our experts liking A2 Milk. Well, it quite surprised me the other day when I was looking into what superannuation funds invest in, and some 30% of their assets goes into fixed income and cash. Now, fixed income is primarily made up of bond funds of various kinds. Now, I want to talk to Ying Yi Cheng of Coolabar uh, Capital to talk about what they invest in in their various bond funds. Ying Yi, thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me, Peter. Do you, th- do you think a lot of Australians aren't comfortable with the idea of bond fund? Because I guess term deposits in the past have been so good in terms of the interest rates, at least the headline interest rates, people haven't worried about bond funds? 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, interest rates have been, you know, much higher. And But I suppose at the same time, there's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit elusive in the sense that fixed income or bonds are typically an institutional market. There's not too much mainstream coverage on bonds per se. So, you know, if you were to look on, you know, the ASX.com or if you look on, you know, your mainstream sort of newspaper, you wouldn't find too much information about bonds, whereas you find heaps of information on equity. So I think it's just more or less, you know, a lack of an understanding of fixed income and bonds in that respect. Yeah. And because term deposits are low and are going to stay low probably for the next three years at least, yeah. People ask Dan, you ask questions, well, what are my alternatives? So why don't you explain us what kind of bond funds you guys run? Yeah, sure. Well, we're quite different um, to a lot of your typical sort of fixed income bond funds. But if we just sort of take a back step um, and just sort of canvas the conversation here, typically in fixed income, if you want more return, um, then managers typically either give you more risk and that risk can take the form of giving you more fixed rate risk. So investing in longer dated fixed rate bonds that compensate you for that term premium, especially when you have an upward sloping yield curve, or they can give you more credit risk or probability of default risk. So investing in what we call, you know, sub-investment grade or unrated securities. Um, and they can also give you more illiquidity risk. So investing in uh, securities uh, that do not have much liquidity as a result and therefore you get compensated. So something like you know, private credit or loans, for example. Coolabar is different because we're focused on driving returns not through these beta risks, but more through alpha. So we drive returns through capital gains identifying mispricing, so bonds that are paying too much interest after you adjust for their risk factors. And as those traded interest rates then drop towards fair value, we sell them for a capital gain, much like your active equities manager, but in fixed income. Yeah. So in a sense, you play what most normal people would find, A, complicated, and B, impossible to access because you buy large amounts of these, don't you? And as a consequence, it's up to you guys to work out whether something has a potential opportunity to make you money over time. And then you go in hard and make that money. Exactly. I mean, you've, you've um, nailed it right there in the sense that for us, we have an extremely large team. So arguably the largest team in Aussie fixed income or bond funds. And we have 25 full-time executives. We have 13 analysts and five portfolio managers, two offices in Sydney, one office in Melbourne, and also another office in London as well. And we're typically trading, you know, um, you know, 70 times a day up to 100 million a day. There was a day last week where we traded about 550 million in one day. So that was a particularly active day as well, but we're hyperactive. Whereas typically what you would expect from a, a bond fund is that they're a bit more buy and hold to maturity. Yeah. So I guess people listening to this, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that people you know, don't still fully understand what you guys do or any, any bond fund does, but let's just try and at least nail the things that they should understand. B, 
historically, what kind of returns do you pay, say, compared to a term deposit? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, that can that can vary. Um, it depends on which of our strategies. So we have strategies that, you know, target uh, cash plus 1% to 2%. Um, and we also run strategies that target cash plus, you know, 6 to 9% even as well. Mm. So it depends on the strategy. Um, in the, yeah, in the lowest yielding sort of strategy that we do run, um, that targets cash plus 1% to 2%. Okay, and cash, of course, is the cash rate, which is 0.1%. Yes, the RBA cash yeah. rate. Yes. So, so, so therefore, I guess, under the worst of circumstances, you might get 1.1%. But maybe the best 2.1%. So, so people can compare it to a term deposit. Yes. Um, look, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a complement to term deposits. So, I mean, as you would already know as well, you know, any um, cash balances below two hundred and fifty thousand are government guaranteed. Uh, with an ADI, so with an authorised deposit taking institution, they're government guaranteed. But any cash balances in excess of 250,000 is not government guaranteed. It, you know, you're arguably a senior creditor to the bank, which ranks Parry Pursue with, you know, some of the bonds that we also invest in, the senior bonds that we invest in at the banks. We also invest in what we call covered bonds. Um, so bank issued covered bonds that actually rank above deposits and senior debt in the capital structure as well. So I, I guess if somebody invested with you guys and you, you, you had a bad run in a sense that the market behaved in a way that you were unexpected, um, I, I guess it's possible that you might have a bad run. But if people stay for the long course, are, are bad runs, do they tend to be knocked out by the more numerous better times? Yeah, well, I mean, the so-called bad runs are typically when we have, you know, market dislocations, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, what we saw in March, for example, um, was the market being dislocated. You know, equity sold off aggressively, but you even saw government bonds sell off. So, you know, and that is because the overall market um, threw the baby out with the bathwater mm. and it was selling everything and it was moving into cash. Now, for us, the way that we approach what we invest in is incredibly intense in the sense that we only focus on investing in securities issued by oligopolies or monopolies and investing in you know, securities issued by entities that are either implicitly or explicitly government guaranteed that we are highly confident will mean revert or snap back. So even when we do have these, you know, market dislocations, then we have, there's an extremely high probability that the market will revert back. And that's exactly what we've seen over the course of this year. You know, we saw markets being dislocated in March, but it was the securities that we invested in that snapped back the quickest as a result of, you know, policies introduced by the government, RBA, QE, um, you know, all this fiscal stimulus from the Commonwealth Government as well. And we've actually had our, you know, best returns since April. Okay, this year. Tell, tell us what that return was. 
Well, depending on which of the strategies that we're looking at. So in the 12 months to October, for example, um, in our highest performing strategies, we generated a gross return of between, you know, 75 to 7.6%. Um, so we run a long short credit fund that generated a gross return of 7.5% to the 12 months to October. So obviously that includes... Uh, March, yeah. but because of the stellar performance since April, um, that's reflected in that 12-month return. And then in the lowest uh, returning, um, or uh, I suppose the one with the least amount of risk, um, so that term deposit complement, I suppose, in that fund, that returned 2.76% gross uh, in the 12 months to October. Okay. Well, I think what we're going to do over the next few weeks is start doing some education courses around bond funds because people want it. So I think it's a pretty good start today, uh, Ying Yi, and uh, let's catch up in a few weeks' time and uh, in improve our education about bond funds. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Peter.